Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. Tonight, we are actually wrapping up the series, and uh, so pull out your Bible. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, It's the end of the letter, pretty much. There is a chapter 16 that we won't touch. But what I want to say tonight at the beginning of this talk is this, that theology matters. Theology matters. And uh, we're going to look at that tonight. Some of you may be like, what are you talking about? But what I mean is, we all do theology. We may not call it that. We may not think that we're doing it, but we all do it. Because what it is, is it's what we believe about God, what we believe about Christ, what we believe about ourselves, salvation, and what happens when we die. So what Mitch just did on stage is he shared from his own life and then shared what he's been learning. He was doing some good theology. He was talking about what's true and what's real, and it matters what we believe. I think especially in our context, if you just think about your life this semester on this campus, it really matters what we believe. So many people in America today, on our campus today, would maybe casually take the name of Christian. Um, You know, if, if you ask them, they'd be like, yeah, I think there's a God, and I guess I'm, I'm a, you know, I kind of grew up going to church every now and then. There's a lot of that, but, but then there's also, because of like societal and cultural pressures, there's like a really broad spectrum of what people believe about God. And it's had a dramatic influence on our theology, what we think is true. I've got a, a recent study, for example, um, only 20% of Americans would hold that the Bible is the actual word of God. And so that's where we're at right now, 20% of Americans. But then just a lot of Americans would say they believe in a God. And so there's, there's, I don't know, there's like a lot of fluidity to what people believe now. So our theology is under attack on seemingly every level. I'm sure you've felt that on campus here at K-State. So tonight we're gonna read one of Paul's most thorough theological treatments of an issue. And it's really beautiful. I wish we could read all 58 verses in chapter 15 because it's just like this awesome train of thought. Um, I'd encourage you to do that after tonight. We're gonna really dive into seven of them. So we're gonna camp out in the first seven and um, there's just too many sermons that could be preached from this chapter. So... So again, as we look at Corinthians, we've got to remember that we're reading one side of a correspondence. So these are letters that went back and forth between this church and Paul. And so we're kind of like putting together the context of why did he write what he wrote? What was going on? And we'll see that really clearly in chapter 15. Roman culture, Greek philosophy and Roman culture were really influencing the Corinthians. They were steeped in it. And one of the elements of that philosophy is called dualism. And dualism means that just everything physical is intrinsically evil, and everything spiritual or metaphysical, like not physical, is intrinsically good. 
And so they had this dualistic idea. And so when Christians would start talking about the resurrection, both of Jesus Christ and of believers, um, Greek philosophy would scoff at that. And we actually have good evidence of that from Acts 17, uh, Paul's preaching to Greek people in Athens. And when he starts to talk about resurrection, they scoff at him and say, who is this guy? This guy's crazy. And that was going on in Corinth. Um, dualism was totally affecting that church. So let's look at it in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to show you the context here. We're going to start by looking at verse 12 because we can see verse 12 helps us know why did Paul write what he wrote. And so let's look at it. Paul writes this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Theology matters. I mean, I don't want to have faith in vain, right? I don't want to stake my life on something that ends up being a lie or a myth. And so some, you can see that in verse 12, some in the church in Corinth were being kind of influenced by their culture, and their culture was saying, resurrection is a stupid idea. And so then they were saying, no one's raised from the dead. And that causes Paul to write this chapter. Even though, uh, these, these Corinthians, even though, I mean, it's just so clear, Jesus was so clear on the matter. If you look in the Gospels, he talks about resurrection. He talks about the end and how people will be raised in, in John 5, in John 6, in John 11, in John 14. And then the, the apostles, when they started preaching and sharing the message of Christ, they talked about resurrection. Acts chapter 4 is a, is a great example of that. And what I talked about even in Acts 17. So, what we believe is really important. And we're going to see, you know, I think we're not steeped in this like Greek dualistic philosophy, but there's a lot of things floating around campus that, that want to attack your faith. And, and it's, it's wanting to say, this isn't true. And so I want to say tonight, as we look at this issue, um, what you believe matters, and you want it to be founded on Scripture. So let's go back to verse 1, and we'll see this. Paul starts 15. Here's what he says. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. I'm just going to stop right there. So you can see here um, in these first two verses, let's look at those first two verses there, there's a heaviness in Paul's tone, right? He wants to remind them of something that they received already. 
but there's a heaviness to it. He even says, if, if you hold fast, what we believe is so important. The gospel is our foundation for everything. I think it's really cool here. He, he says, you received it. There's a past tense. Now you stand in it, right? There's kind of a present tense. And then there's this continuing tense of that you are being saved. So our salvation is sure, but it's still kind of being accomplished in the gospel. And it's like you never outgrow the gospel. You don't just hear it once and believe it and then that's it. You're like, yep, got the gospel. Now let's do the rest. What Paul's saying is this is what we live in. You stand in it, you are being saved by it, you received it in the past. Paul's all about the gospel, and so are we here at Christian Challenge. This is something that is really important to us for all of you and for our campus. And so something that we're going to offer next semester, we do it every spring semester, is called Foundations. And Foundations of the Gospel is this class where we, we talk in depth and we study and we learn and there's like assignments for you to go and survey people on campus and, and just your friends and to learn what they think, what do they believe. And it's a great, great course. Um, it's actually a prereq for leadership for our life group leaders. So if you're interested in leading a life group, I'd just encourage you to keep thinking about that. Talk to your life group leader about it. Foundations is awesome. And it's not just the leaders who take it. Like We've had 80 students or so get in that course, and it's been life-changing for people. So we care about the gospel here at Christian Challenge. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 3, this is so cool. Verses 3 through 7 are like a, a pre-Pauline creed, which means Paul didn't write this stuff. And scholars have found that. This Greek word, you'll find it the first time in verse 3 after the colon. He says, listen, I want to deliver to you what's of first importance, what, what I also received. So he's saying, this didn't come from me. And then there's a colon. And then this word, that. It's translated that in English. It's the Greek word, hoti, H-O-T-I. That is how you say it. And um, hoti, what it what Paul uses it for here is like Greek quotation marks. So he's saying, this is what I received. And then he says, quotes, Christ died for our sins. And he's, he's, this is a, a creed from the early church. And then he's going to use that again. And um, it's, again, the Greek word, hoti, that he was buried. And he was raised on the third day. And that he appeared to Cephas. So this is like a, a creed of the Christian faith. It's pretty cool stuff. And um, yeah, so let's look at, we're going to basically walk through this one phrase at a time looking at, at this creed. So first of all, Christ died for our sins. It's five words, right? I actually teach my kids the gospel um, sometimes like when I'm putting them to bed, uh, praying with them. And they all have this memorized we just start, we just, Christ died for our sins. And it's just a foundation of what we believe about Christ. Christ is the God-man, right? Fully God, fully man. He was born, he lived a human life, an actual life in the flesh. He's not just a good idea, right? Jesus is a historical figure. He began to have a public ministry at around the age of 30, 
and he taught primarily about the kingdom of God, about his own identity as Messiah. And then he, he said that he came to make the kingdom of God available to all those who would believe in him. And Christ's death on the cross, it's detailed in every one of the gospels. There's four gospel accounts in our Bible, and they all crescendo to Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. And so the great claim of our faith, of the gospel message, is that Jesus' death was this perfect divine atonement that covers our sins. Every human, you, me, every human that's ever lived, marred by sin, selfishness, impatience, greed, lust, every manner of sin. But Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sinless death in our place, right? We deserved the wrath of God, but Jesus stepped in between God and us and took the punishment that we deserved. So let me um, give you an illustration for atonement, right? Theology matters. We're using big words tonight. Just hang in there with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it land, I hope and pray. So to make this um, a little more accessible to today's college student, Come with me to Chipotle, right? I mean, who loves Chipotle in here? I'm all in. So I'm picking the restaurant. You and I, we're going to Chipotle. I'm in line with you. I'm in front of you. And I get up to order, and I'm just, like, totally ready. And so I'm like, give me the carne asada. Give me double meat. Yes, please. I'll take an extra burrito. Like, just bring it on. I want the guac. I want the sour cream, I want chips and guac, I want it all. I get to the register, and the checkout person's like, that's gonna be $23. That's about right, right? That's, thank you, Joe Biden, right? More, more, okay. All right, so I'm there, and I'm ready to pay, oh, $23. And you're right behind me, and here's what happens. I don't have my wallet. So they've made me this mound of food, and I'm standing there in front of this poor Chipotle employee, huge line of people out the door. I am in sin right now. I have totally missed the mark. I can't pay for this. I don't have any way to pay. And I just look at the Chipotle person and I wonder, what will they do to me? Will they give me my food? Will they send me away? What will they do? And if you reach for your card and you say, Nate, I've got you. In that moment, you are Jesus. I'm standing in sin. I have nothing to do. I cannot do anything. The food is made, right? They're just gonna throw it away? What? I don't know. But there I am. I can't do anything, and you cover my sin. You take care of it. It's your $23, not mine. Sucker, right? I gotta eat this Chipotle now and, and just be happy the whole time. You're Jesus in that moment. You take the punishment. You take the pain. Your wallet takes the pain of Chipotle in that moment. And what's really cool about this is Chipotle is God the Father. That's a weird sentence that should never be said, right? <laughs> Do you know why? Because their wrath for me is totally fair. Whatever they want to do to me, they can do to me. I mean, you know, within reason. It's $23. But... Their wrath for me is fair. But the minute you say, Nate, I've got you, 
they don't care anything about me anymore, right? They, the, in terms of wrath, right? They don't need to punish me at all. It's covered. My sin is covered. So, okay, maybe that helps the atonement make a little more sense. I don't know. I just want to eat some Chipotle now. I don't know about you, but. Okay, let's look at the next quotation mark in here. It's uh, the beginning of verse four. It's that Greek word again. It says that he was buried. And you notice that it doesn't say in accordance with the scriptures on this one. So this is very interesting. Paul's using that phrase um, for his death and his resurrection because the Old Testament prophets and the Psalms spoke about those things, but they didn't explicitly talk about his burial. So it's really interesting. So he says, in accordance with the scriptures, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. I mean, Psalm 22, Jesus is on the cross giving up his life, and he starts quoting Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is like a perfect picture of crucifixion written a thousand years before Jesus came to earth. Amazing stuff. Isaiah 53, go and read Isaiah 53. You see all of the elements of Jesus' death prophesied hundreds of years before Christ. Wild stuff. And so now he was buried. This is detailed really clearly in John 19 um, where Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they, they take the body of Jesus and um, John 19 tells us they wrap his body in burial clothes and they anoint his body with 75 pounds of spices. This was a Jewish um, custom. It was a way of grieving and, and mourning and celebrating and loving a loved one when you buried them. And so they're doing this to their Lord. And um, what this shows us, a couple things. I mean, they didn't think he was going to rise from the dead. They totally covered his body with, they anointed it with these spices and the burial clothes. It also shows us that um, he was dead. I mean, Jesus was dead. So there's a, a, a theory that people have said, well, okay, the resurrection didn't happen, so what did happen? And that theory, these atheists would come up with is, oh, he just swooned. It's called the swoon theory, where Jesus just fell asleep. He was just asleep. But can you imagine having your head wrapped in cloth and then anointed with pounds of spices? There's no way he could breathe at all. There's no way. His disciples handled his body intimately. He was dead, right? If he wasn't dead, they would have celebrated and ran out and been like, he didn't die. So his closest followers handled his body. He was dead. Okay, the next quotation mark happens there. It says in verse four, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the real, actual, historical resurrection of Christ. This is talked about in each one of the gospels. This is where the gospel goes to. He was not in the tomb. Um, women that were following him, Mary and, and other women, they went to the tomb they went and they took even more spices. I guess 75 pounds wasn't enough, right? They were gonna go anoint his body a couple days after he was buried. And they went early in the morning before the sun came up on Sunday morning. And the stone was rolled away. Jesus wasn't there. They found the empty tomb and an angel told them the Lord had risen from the dead. What a moment. And then the final part of this creed, the final quotation, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. 
And so there's numerous appearances outlined in the Gospels. In John's Gospel, there's three. Um, there's, there's one in Acts. There's one in Mark. And a lot of them are unique. It's really cool to go read them. Um, we see awesome things. Jesus was in a new body, a resurrected body. And he like enters rooms where the doors are locked. And he shows himself to people. We have moments where he eats food with his disciples. We see that in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. We see it in John 21 when he cooks breakfast for, for Peter and, and the disciples who are fishing. And so what stands out from all this is that Jesus' bodily resurrection was real and tangible and it's historical. It's a, it's a fact. Just to notice there in the next verse that that um, Paul mentions this appearance to 500 people at once. That would be like this room, probably plus a few more. And so Jesus showed himself. He appeared to 500 followers at one time. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's saying, listen, he even says, like, those people are still alive, most of them. Like, this is a verifiable historical fact. This happened. And 500 people I mean, that's a lot of people at one time who can say, yeah, I was there and it happened. And you can verify the story. It is real, tangible news. And I think that's one thing that makes Christianity and our faith following Christ really distinct from other religions is that it's, it's not just about philosophy or good ideas or being a good person or, you know, karma and reincarnation. These ideas of what things, it's like a real, tangible, historical moment and Paul's pointing that, he's like, listen, 500, they're, they're still alive. Go ask them. Go talk to them. We believe in good news, right? We believe in something that, that really, really happened. I've got some quotes from some old dead guys. I like that. So this is uh, a quote from Thomas Arnold. Got a picture of Tom. Man, who, I'd love to dress like that. That'd be awesome. Tom looks good, right? Thomas Arnold, um, he's, he's British, very, very smart man. He was the, the chair of modern history at Oxford in the late 1800s. And very good thinker, great thinker. Um, listen to what Thomas Arnold said about this. He said, the evidence for our Lord's resurrection has been examined by tens of thousands of persons who have gone through it piece by piece. I myself have done it many times, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. I know of not one fact in the history of mankind. He's the chair of modern history at Oxford. So I know of not one fact which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than that Christ died and rose again from the dead. That's pretty powerful right there. A great theologian, Charles Hodge, he wrote about the resurrection that it is the best authenticated event in ancient history. And then consider this, William Lane Craig. I love William Lane Craig. He's an apologist, so he defends our faith, and he's alive today. So I, I picked a guy who's alive for another quote. I love this quote. He says, the simple fact that the Christian fellowship, the first early church, founded on belief in Jesus' resurrection, came into existence and flourished in the very city where he was executed and buried is powerful evidence for the historicity of the empty tomb. I mean, just think about it. You're in Jerusalem, and we know where the body was put. 
We know who killed him. And then this claim that, no, he rose from the dead. And now this movement starts. If you want to stop that movement, just produce the body. Say, look, here's, here's the dead guy, right? He didn't rise from the dead. This is not true. And so that they couldn't do it. And that is amazing. They couldn't do it. So I want to take just a moment here tonight, and I want to call all of you to just consider your faith. In light of what we've talked about, we've been doing theology tonight, right? Mitch started us off with a bang, and we, are just, we just keep going. We're just talking about deep things, heady things. But think about your faith. I want to just ask you a couple questions. Have you believed, like actually believed and said, that is real, the tangible, historical news of Jesus' death and resurrection? Have you staked your life on it? Said, I believe it. Or are you just kind of hanging around with Christians because you think they're nice? Or are you just around this group trying to look the part for some other reason? And I just want to call you to a deeper level of belief. You can believe this gospel. It's not intellectual suicide. It's not like cultural backwardness. This is good news, and it is real, tangible stuff. When I was a student at K-State, I was pushed into a crisis of belief. I remember uh, my sophomore year, I got a job as an RA in Moore Hall. I love Moore Hall. Anybody living in Moore? Like one person, right there. She is right there. There's one person in Moore Hall. Awesome. We need to try to reach some people in Moore Hall. <laughs> Bring some friends. Let's go. So I lived in Moore Hall. I actually lived there two and a half years. And um, I was on a staff team in Moore Hall. And just me and one other girl, we were the only believers on the staff team. And um, everyone else on my staff kind of had this negative view of the church, negative view of Christianity. And so I, I just, like, all of a sudden was put into this environment where I had to defend my faith. I had to think about it in a different way. I had to talk about it in a different way. And it really pushed me. Then um, one, that, that semester, right when I got hired, 13 students from the Czech Republic came, and um, they put them in the basement of Moore Hall because they didn't have a spot for them, and so they put me down there with them. And so it was just me, 13 Czech guys, and one guy from Alabama. That was the floor. <laughs> so there you go. And I mean, I got to talk with these guys. They were, all of them, they were atheists. Um, they had a negative view of church, negative view of, of religion in general. They thought it was brainwashing. They came to challenge and, and they didn't know what the, they were like, what are you guys doing? You sing together? It's so weird. And uh, so I got to just explain and, and try to make sense of my faith on so many levels. On my staff team, um, I was like the token Christian, Right? And so I'd, I'd go on rounds and, and I'd, I'd be with someone else on staff and we'd just talk about life. And so I was wrestling and fighting constantly, like, what do I believe and is it real and is it true? And let me tell you, that season like solidified my faith in Christ in a huge way. Huge way, just having to think about it differently and talk about it differently. 
And so I know some of you are in that almost exact same story. I know others of you, you're in classes or majors where um, the professors are, are not, you know, friendly to Christian ideas. You have friends who think what you believe is foolishness or backward. And so let me just encourage you, lean into this moment and let this moment solidify your faith in what is real and true. One thing that really helped me was um, I just saw so clearly in, in all the lives around me that apart from Christ and God's word, everything was so unstable. Like the question of like what is right and what is wrong, you kind of like, I don't know, you just answer it however you want it is what it felt like. It was so unstable. What is good? What is evil? So confused apart from Christ. So let me say, every person, every person in this room, every person on this campus, at some point in their life, you have to do business with the resurrection of Jesus. It's a historical claim. You can't stay neutral on it. And let me explain that. You can't stay neutral on it because if Christ was raised, then he is Lord of all. Right? You don't walk around claiming that you're God and then raised from the dead, you're just some random dude. I mean, like, his claims are real if he was really raised. And if he is Lord of all, he is Lord of your life. And you need to bow your knee to him and obey him and orient your life around him. And every person on planet Earth has to do business with that. And so where are you at with that? It's got real consequences for your life. Decisions that you make. You gotta submit your life to Christ as Lord. Okay, I wanna jump ahead in this chapter. We're just gonna skip a lot, sadly. But I wanna, I wanna land tonight with what does this mean for your life? The fact that Christ was raised, the fact that there is a resurrection that we are looking forward to for us as believers. And so turn to the end of this chapter in verse 54. I'm gonna read the end here. Here's what Paul writes. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Man, beautiful stuff in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a pretty amazing chapter. What he's talking about there when he says um, perishable puts on imperishable, mortal, immortality, he's talking about our bodies. And he's talking about the change that's gonna happen when Christ returns. We will have glorified, resurrected bodies. And those who are alive when Christ returns, they'll be changed in an instant, is what he says, in, in the twinkling of an eye. And so that is the moment as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, that is the moment that we are living for, that we are hoping for. That's when all of, of creation history, all of human history, it comes to its ultimate fulfillment when Christ returns. 
This is our hope. In verse 54, um, Paul just starts quoting the Old Testament. I want to read from Isaiah 25. This is so cool. This is what he's quoting when he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Isaiah prophesied about this. He said, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. That's Revelation 21, just what Mitch was talking about. This is our hope, the hope of the resurrection. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Amen. It's going to happen. The Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So we see the triumphant, victorious nature of our lives in Christ. We've got victory over sin and death. And so that's our hope in the gospel. I want to talk about verse 58. That's where we're going to wrap up tonight. And I feel like this is just, we all need this verse at one point or another, right? And so he calls them to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. And he says, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so the resurrection, the hope that we have in eternity, it helps us to live today. It helps us to endure suffering like Mitch was talking about. It helps us to stand firm, to hold fast to the word that we received, like Paul wrote in the first verses there. Because we know that our labor is not in vain. There's an eternal hope. And I think that one is really easy for young people to miss. Because I think you guys are just, you're thinking about kind of what's next in your life, right? You're thinking about just the next chapter. And I just want to implore you and call you, like, don't miss the hope that we have in eternity. Because it's going to help you stand firm today. So just evaluate your semester, right? You're at the end of the semester. Finals are coming up. You're about to have winter break. I just want you to think about this semester from August till now. How would you evaluate yourself through verse 58? Have you been steadfast and immovable in your faith? Maybe a, a good question would be just to write this in your journal. Like, God, what has moved me away from my faith this semester? When have I been unstable in my faith? And what caused that? What temptation was it? What fear was it? Okay, I want to kind of wrap it up, this talk right here. Things that I've said, I don't want you to miss. Theology matters. Don't let anything change or alter the gospel. I don't care how unpopular scripture and the gospel is today. It's true. And so we just, we gotta like build our lives on it. So don't let anything change or alter the gospel. Second thing I want to say is um, the resurrection. Man, this real, tangible, historical fact that there was a man, Jesus, and he was crucified and then he was not in the tomb. That is central to our faith. We can't move on from that. 
And then the third thing I would say is put your hope in Christ and in the resurrection, not in winter break. There is no hope in winter break. I know right now you're just thinking finals, let them get done, and then my life's going to be so much better. I won't be in these stupid classes anymore. Let me tell you, there is no hope in that. You're going to just come back next semester and get in more classes. They're going to have tests too. There's no hope in this. But there's hope in Christ. And as you put your hope in him, you can work hard in the Lord. So how does this connect? I actually had a hard time I'm thinking through our series, right, Unentitled, and trying to connect this scripture of the resurrection, right, with Unentitled. And it was challenging. It was challenging for me. I think where I landed with this, how do we draw this into the series? And this is real, I think it's really relevant for young people and the pressure that you feel because Christianity is seen negatively in your world, right? And I think this is the pressure, this is the unentitled mindset, is like, I don't get to decide what the Bible says. Like, I don't get to alter scripture based on what is popular in thought on campus or with my friends or on social media. Like, scripture is here, and this is my foundation. And so I'm going to live an unentitled life by saying, okay, I got to do business with this, with what it says. I'm not going to make up what I think sounds good. I'm going to stand on scripture. We got to do that. We got to let true biblical doctrine and theology define what we believe, not our culture. Don't be like the Corinthians. Start saying, yeah, no one's raised from the dead. I don't think that's one that our culture is pushing on. I mean, they'd probably scoff at the idea of resurrection, right? But, but there's a lot of other th- pressures on our faith. All right, let's, um, let's wrap up the series. I've got a, a slide here. This is the things that we've talked about. We've kind of walked through 1 Corinthians. And so we'll just review a little bit, right? The beginning of the year, the cross and its foolishness and weakness. Um, Paul opens the letter that way. Beautiful. We talked for multiple weeks about unity in the church and how the cross and the gospel is how we live that out. Um, Our plans and our rights for how we spend our summer. We talked about that. Oh, look, there's a typo right there. That should be an R. Forgive me. I'm learning. How you live your summer, right? Sexual immorality. We talked about that from 1 Corinthians 6. And that's where um, this verse, like, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, right? We talked about accountability and 1 Corinthians 5 and how there's, like, inside this church they were celebrating sexual immorality. So we talked about how the church got to hold each other accountable. We talked about gender. You remember Robbie talking about male and female, unpacking that. And then spiritual gifts and tonight our theology and so it's been a it's been a wild ride right I mean first Corinthians kind of heavy stuff we haven't uh we haven't messed around we've we've gone at it and I hope um I hope that God's used this in your life and so I want to I want to close tonight with first Corinthians 6 we kind of built the the series on this I'm gonna have the band come up now as we kind of wrap up You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Are you going to live unentitled?
Are you going to think about your theology in an unentitled way? Are you going to think about your life and where your life's headed and how you relate to your family when you're home over break? This verse, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. We were just at Chipotle, right? Jesus stepped in and said, I got you. And if you're a believer, you said, thank you, Jesus. And you put your faith in him. So are you going to live that unentitled life? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much um, for this chapter and just the beautiful truth that we can, we can stake our life on historical, real, tangible things. It's not just nice ideas, but it's just true. And so we thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray, I just want to pray over this room and just anybody in here that is not sure what they believe, um, not sure what they think, God, I pray you'd be working in their life, you'd be moving their heart to faith. And I pray for believers in this room, people that have put their faith in you, God, that, that tonight and just what you're doing through the scripture, you would solidify their faith. They would find firm footing in you, Christ. God, help us to live unentitled. Help us to live with our hands open. Help us to find our meaning in you, Christ. And Lord, we just celebrate the resurrection and the victory that you have in this world. Um, I thank you, Lord, that 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 is real. And we long for that day when when death is swallowed up in victory. And so let's worship Man, let's worship like that. So, Lord, we want to worship you like that. Amen.